Hello, everybody. Thank you for coming back to our fourth episode of the Rust Belt Rundown, Rust Belt Recruiting's very own podcast. My name is Nick Fopiano, and I'm joined here today by Roy Hardy, an absolute powerhouse in the trades with an incredible resume. Roy, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Yes, hello, Nick, and it's uh, good to be here, and I'm glad to have a little conversation about uh, workforce development, people going to work, and Rust Belt uh, recruiting. Thanks. Of course. So once again, it's awesome to have such a veteran in the trades industry on our show. Uh, do you want to give our audience a little rundown of your experience in the industry? Sure. So I'm a uh, graduate metallurgical engineer and have been monkeying around in the metals world for more years than I care to admit. Um, and I'm, I like to say I'm a third generation metals guy. My grandfather was uh, a core room worker at a ductile iron foundry. My dad was a metallurgist for Huntington Alloys. Uh, that makes me third in line. And I think I mentioned when we talked before, my son has just graduated from Ohio State in material science engineering. So we're trying to keep this going in the family. Right. So when did you make that transition from uh, being a metallurgist to being an entrepreneur and working in the uh, back office part of the industry? So um, right out of school, I did start as a corporate metallurgist working in a manufacturing facility. Uh, I did that for several years, took a little turn into trade association for a few years as well, and then stumbled upon this opportunity to be an entrepreneur. Um, and so that was about 2000, as I recall. And we actually were involved in additive manufacturing early on, making production parts in uh, in the field of energy and energy reclamation and uh, recuperation. And so, um, yeah, that was about a 10 year stand at some point. Want to uh, break down energy recuperation for some of our audience members that don't know what that is? Sure, so in a lot of industrial settings, natural gas is used to heat up whatever material it is that you're processing. Uh, and it's a very inefficient method of heating up materials, but it's also the gas is readily available. So recuperation is where you capture some of that lost heat and actually put it back into the metals and materials that you're processing uh, to increase both efficiency and then um, the effectiveness of the process itself. Okay. So before we move on to talking and stuff, um, I understand a big part of your resume is with trade organizations. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about that for just a minute here. Uh, okay. What exactly do trade organizations do? Like what functionalities? All right. So uh, in the world of trade associations, there is a group that represents any industry or any manufacturing process that you can think of. And so a trade association serves really as sort of the voice in the face of an industry to all uh, stakeholders. There's work that they do with customers, suppliers, the government itself, and then that industry. So it serves as a, a sort of a, um, a networking opportunity and also then a keeper of the information and knowledge of that industry. Why would you say these organizations are vital, or vi <laughs> vital to the industry? Sure. So um, most industries are filled with mid-sized and small companies that really don't have the sort of impetus or finances to be able to put together workforce development programs to be able to have opportunities to educate government in the needs that they have. So trade associations serve as an advocate for an industry. They also serve as a meeting place or a keeper of the knowledge. And then the third most important part, which I think dovetails into what Rust Belt does, 
this idea of workforce development and lifting an industry up by improving the skill set of all the employees in that industry. So a trade association serves as that function and it really empowers small and mid-sized companies to be able to do more together than they could do by themselves. Do you think there's enough involvement in these associations with companies in the trade? Um, or, or do you see a lack of participation? Well, one of the things that happens for a small and mid-sized company, and I know that you guys at Rust Belt deal a lot in that, uh, in that space, is that so many people in those companies wear multiple hats. So the same person might be in charge of human resources, but he's also in charge of shipping and receiving. And maybe the owner's also doing sales as well as hiring uh, employees. So uh, one of the um, difficulties for small and mid-sized companies is to be able to devote the time you need to be involved in a trade association. So I think that there could be more involvement. And my experience has been when a company gets involved in a trade association, they receive a lot more back than they actually put in. But it's, right. it's, it's difficult for them to come to the decision to make that investment in time. It's very rarely about the money for the dues. It is about the commitment of time. Do you think that's the biggest limiting factor? I think it is. Um, now granted, in COVID-19 days and when there's a down economy, oftentimes people are looking at every nickel. So at that point, uh, the financial side becomes an issue. But in general, it is the time commitment, uh, the ability to invest in with your people in an organization to really get the value out of it. So you mentioned that a lot of times when you join a trades organization, you, companies get a lot more out of it than what they put in. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what kind of benefits do you see in joining these trades associations for a small company or a large company? Sure. Well, again, if we just, just go back to those points I talked about before, on the advocacy side, small and mid-sized companies can't hire lobbyists. They don't have the time really to go to either your state capital or the federal government and do what I call education. Lobbying has a little bit of a bad connotation, but the truth is it's about educating people who are making the laws and regulations that have such a big influence on an industry. Small and mid-sized mid companies can't do that on their own. Uh, right. The other advantages that you have is trade associations develop workforce development programs, all the training, all the materials you need. A small 20-man operation could never do that on its own, but by going through an, an association, they can tap into uh, industry vetted training materials to train their people. At all of my stops, we've developed um, Department of Labor approved and sanctioned uh, journeyman programs. We've developed a lot of online training now for delivery of training right into a, a company's facility where they don't have to send someone off site to go to school and programs for training mid-level mid managers as well. So I, one of the real advantages that of a trade association is just all these resources you have access to that you could never develop on your own. Do you think that is a sales tool that companies should be learning as well, uh, like setting up training programs, uh, outreach to your communities, et cetera, et cetera? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of members and associations are doing that. They're reaching into high schools to do a little bit of training and as well as make uh, people in your neighborhood aware of the business that you're in. It's difficult sometimes to recruit people to come and work at a factory if they have to move. So it's important then to do that recruiting locally uh, and then to actually tie into that pipeline at a high school to start training people of the opportunities in right. machining, welding, and all the various trades that are available where wonderful, wonderful careers can be had for an individual and his family 
without taking on $200,000 of debt to go to college. You're preaching the choir. <laughs> um, have you gone into high schools personally and talked uh, with students and tried to set up these trade programs? I have. And uh, again, many of our members, we help them set up um, what we call bus tours. And so a bus will roll into a high school, throw 30 or 40 kids in and take them to a facility to see CNC machines or to see welding taking place or forging of metals or all the various processes that are available that most kids in high school don't even know exist. Right. And so it's, it's important for companies to help educate their future workforce that those jobs even exist. Uh, the other, the other right. thing that I have done personally is actually go into high schools and give a little PowerPoint presentation um, about a particular industry. I used to do one all the time in the forging industry. And then at the end, ask the kids who would want to go on a plant tour and actually have a local member set up a, a tour and throw kids on a school bus and we'd actually go and tour their facility. Um, it was very successful. Um, a lot of kids who do that actually then apply for jobs, summer internships, some because of those tours decided to go and get an engineering degree and get involved right. in manufacturing. So it's very successful. Yeah. I, I actually do have a thing to opine with on this um, back here in Texas and my previous positions, that kind of lobbying to our school districts is a major part of my job. Um, I'm assuming it's a lot easier down here in Texas than it is in Ohio. We have independent school districts. So as mm -hmm. long as we follow the base education requirements by the state of Texas, school districts can add on whatever programs they want. That means that mm -hmm. a lot of our districts down here do and don't have uh, these trades programs. So that was one of my big focuses was talking to school districts and setting up these programs for shop classes, bringing shop classes back into our mm -hmm. curriculum. Um, what kind of benefits do you see from doing that? I mean, obviously, what is it? What's the average age of a tradesman now in the industry? It's like 50, 55. Oh, 50 plus for sure. Yeah. A lot of them have the same color hair that I have. Um, <laughs> and, and in manufacturing in general, I often go to a member company and sit in the conference room with all their managers. Uh, and until very recently, I was often the youngest guy in the room. Um, right. And so there is a huge, there's a huge current need and you might hear that statistic from time to time, the millions of jobs that are going unfilled. It's only going to get worse as more and more people retire out. Um, to keep those jobs here in America, we have to have employees that can do the work. And so there really needs to be a big push. The federal government is starting to talk about now, again, investing in training. Uh, it's key. It's key to the success of our country. And it's very important for small and mid-sized companies to be successful and to have a future that they have a labor pool to draw from. Yeah. Do, do you think that the industry is pushing hard enough to attract younger candidates? Or do you think we still have leaps and bounds to go? I think there's still a ways to go. There's no question they're a lot more active in that than they were 10 or 15 years ago. But I think there's a long way to go. And again, reaching into, uh, I had a, a company tell me once upon a time, they believe that it's about selling this idea to the mom. Because if the mother believes, you know, there is a future for Johnny and for Susie as a welder at the local shop down the street. Oh, and by the way, they, I won't have to borrow $100,000 to send them to college. Right. Once, once mom believes that, because mom typically is the one for a couple of generations who've been saying, oh, I don't want my boy or girl to go into manufacturing. It's hot, it's dirty, it's dangerous. That's not true anymore. 
right. most of our manufacturing facilities are almost high tech companies at this point. So it's a matter right. of convincing the family. No, there is a future here for your child. And then because no one wants to, to come out of an education with a huge pile of debt and then not be able to find a job. Exactly. You, have, you haven't been trained with a skill that companies need. And so I, uh, yeah, I, one of my big talking points when I'd go into schools is, um, seriously do the math. If you, you know, there's not a magic loan that you can get for four years of your whole school. You have to get three, four separate different loans. Yeah. By the time you graduate, you're going to be looking at paying 800 bucks a month in interest. And that's what about 12% average right now. And, and you know, why not go just try a trade, just take the classes in high school, try it and see if you like it. And trust me, break the stigma. You can make, mm-hmm. uh, I've staffed jobs with making 120K a year. Absolutely. You know, there's absolutely no stigma. You're going to get more out of that than you are as a, I mean, just as much of an accountant or wh- right. whatever else you choose to do. Uh, well, and the other thing, the other thing that we don't stress, and you and I kind of get it because it's the arena where we play in. But right. there is real personal satisfaction at the end of the day, at the end of the week, when something that you've worked on rolls off a line or you're putting it in a box and putting tape on it and shipping it to a customer. You just you played a part in making something that's either helping an airplane fly or trucks running across the road. In manufacturing, there's a real feeling of satisfaction of knowing you played a part in making a thing as opposed to, you know, and God bless the people that do it. I'm related to some, but uh, <laughs> other than just pushing paper around all day. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The same thing, I guess, in my field too with marketing. I mean, I love pushing out stuff and seeing stuff go live. It's it's very rewarding. And how do you how do you think we? What, what's the best way to show uh, the younger generations that this is a very rewarding and very uh, high paying skill mm-hmm. to have, uh, without having them fall asleep during a PowerPoint or et cetera, et cetera. Well, I mean, the media now allows us, I did it in mine is in my PowerPoint. I would stick a couple little short videos of showing equipment moving or a part being made or a, a welder, you know, arcing a, and the sparks flying. So you can sexy it up a little bit in a PowerPoint. But I think the real, uh, the real effective way is to, again, throw them on that bus and get mm-hmm. them into a facility and talk to the people who are doing it for a career. Now I'm, I'm a little more seasoned than you. Yeah. Quite a bit more. Um, but, a little bit. But, when, but when I was a kid in those days, you didn't have all the liability issues. And so right. when, when I was a young boy, we could go in and see where grandpa worked. And I was able to tour a ductile iron foundry when I was 11 years old and see hot metal being poured and the sparks flying and all that. And said, wow, this is cool. And then visit where my father worked, Huntington Alloys. There they forged metal, they extruded it, they poured it, they did everything. And so I fell in love as a preteen with this idea of being involved in the metals industry. And that came about not because dad was talking about it at the dinner table. It came about because I walked into a facility and saw it happening. And I think that if we do more of that, look, not everybody's cut out to be in the trades or to work in manufacturing. That's fine. But we need to find those kids who say, that's sexy. I want to do that. And the right. only way to do it is to expose them to those trades and, and that, that sort of uh, facility. 
and then they get the bug and then you can't keep them out of it. Right. But, but if they're unaware, then they're going to go through life doing something that they're never quite satisfied because they didn't even know they had this option. So to, right. to your point, that's the way we do it is we actually get them into facilities uh, and let them see it, smell it, touch it and say, yep, this is what I want to do. Yeah, perfectly said. Uh, now, I understand that you're an entrepreneur as well. Yep. What ventures are you working on right now? So currently, I'm a consultant. My organization is called Technical Alchemy, um, which is a little bit of a play on, again, the idea of metals taking lead and turning it into gold. Um, right. That's the whole alchemy side of things. And so I do consulting in what I know. And so I help associations set up foundations. I help associations work on workforce development programs. If they've never done a trade show before, I help them with that. But I also still play in the metals world. I still do metallurgical engineering consulting as well. And okay. so um, that's what I'm doing now. In a previous life, I was an entrepreneur, I think I mentioned before. The company called, was called Spinworks, and we did additive manufacturing using silicon carbide for components that went into industrial furnaces. And that was very capital intensive. And so I tell people, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Everybody wants to own their own business. And I tell people that say that, and everyone does, if you're going to do anything that's capital intensive, do it earlier in your life. So you've got the rest of your life to recover. If, uh, if a black swan event happens and it kind of right. goes sideways on you. So my entrepreneurship in the early days was, was bookmarked by um, 9-11. It's when we started the business and it ended in the great recession in 08, 09. So it was, it was a bit, it was a business that kind of came out of the ashes and then, <laughs> yeah. and, then kind of, and then kind of went back into the ashes. But, oh, but it, was a real, it was a real, it was a really good run and a great experience in learning what it is to worry every Wednesday. Is there enough money in the bank on Friday to make payroll? Right. And, and, and people who have never been an entrepreneur or never owned a small business really can't appreciate the stress and the pressure and the sleepless nights of small business owners who have to worry about, holy crap, there's not enough money in the bank to pay my supplier. But if I don't get that material, then I can't make the product to send to my customers. So I get paid so I can pay that supplier. And, right. and just this constant fear and struggle with this idea of cash flow. And I, and I really think that cash flow has probably killed almost every small business that ever failed because you got a great idea, you got customers that like you, but holy crap, you can't pay your people, you can't buy your, you can't buy the, the hamburger meat to make the hamburger to serve to, right. you know? and so it's all about cash flow. And um, I, the one thing that I've really learned about being an entrepreneur is just to really appreciate the people that are slugging that out every day. And right. in the association world and the people that I consult with, they're almost all exclusively people in that. And so that is one of the things I bring is just an appreciation for how they're the people that make the country run. It's, right. I mean, God bless General Motors and God bless Apple, but the people who really make it happen are those small companies that are just slugging it out every day. Yep. And Map docs and a, across the country. And a little plug for Rust Belt. I mean, that's what you guys are doing is trying to help people who are looking to make them, their life a little better, find a little bit better position with a company who needs somebody that helps them to get a little bit better. And I think that when we've got that going, good people looking for good companies and good companies looking for good people, then it raises that company up and it helps those people take care of their families. I've often said when I was running an association, the idea was, are we doing programming? Are we helping our member companies 
take care of that guy on second shift who's maybe if they're a little more profitable can get another 25 cents an hour, which yeah, turns right. into 30 some cents an hour on overtime. So he can help, you know, he can buy his kid a new pair of shoes who are, who just made the high school basketball team. You right. Know, that, that simple kind of blocking and tackling of helping good people do good things is, is why exactly. I do what I do. And I know it's why you guys do what you do. You're right. Taylor's Taylor's saying is, uh, help the people first and the money will follow. Yep. Help the people. Um, and, and I think that is a motto that is kind of lost on some companies in the industry today. It, yeah. It's how it is. It's how it is. But it, you know, what, what's the point of being in this industry if you're not helping out the people, right? Yeah. Well, there's, and there's always been a few that, that don't play by those rules and mm -hmm. you know, God bless them, but I don't know how they sleep at night. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, God forbid. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so a little bit about technical alchemy too. Uh, mm -hmm. how big is your team? Are you just a solo operation or do you have a, Oh yeah. Also, yeah, you're, 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 lo you're looking at technical alchemy right now. <laughs> right. But, but, you, but you know, it keeps overhead way down. Oh yeah. I bet it does. <laughs> uh, what kind of services do you guys, I mean, you kind of touched on it, but do you want to go right. over it again? Well, again, this idea of um, I'm trying to use both of my backgrounds to help people that I know both in both industries and maybe some new folks. But uh, again, we touched before about the color of my hair and, uh, and thank you for not asking me how old I am. Mm -hmm. but, but in, in metallurgy, um, we haven't made metallurgical engineers in this country for a long time. It's, it's shifted right. to material science. And in, even in material science, it's a very small group of people who graduate with that degree. And so there's a huge need in manufacturing in the United States for people who know the difference between steel and aluminum or have some idea that if you're looking for a particular hardness on a gear tooth, how might you go about that? And what steel should you use to even make that gear? So there's a real need for that. And, and that's always exciting and fun to do to help people spec stuff out and figure out how to make things. Uh, so that's one of the things that I enjoy doing. And again, I really lean on my experience of uh, in metals to do that. Uh, and then on the association side, I do get a real kick on this idea of mission and passion to help small companies and associations do that um, get a little bit better. Right. So that's what I do and, and primarily work with people that I know. I've, I've been around long enough. I've got people who I know who needs help. But I'm always open for if someone has a project or some assistance in something. So uh, in your decades of experience. <laughs> <laughs> decades? Did I say decades? Yeah, decades. No, nah, I said it. I said it. <laughs> uh, what, have you, what have you learned about the value of a job? Um, you know, I was talking to someone about this just the other day. Uh, right now in the United States, there's a fair amount of turmoil. There are people who have felt left behind by society. Stay away I'm, from politics. <laughs> well, but, but I, but I've and amen, but um, I've said for decades that I think the, a big solution to a lot of what ails our country is a job, right? That a, a job gives people purpose. A job gives you a reason to get up in the morning. A job provides resources that you can take care of all the things that you need to take care of. Um, a job gives you, makes you part of society and you're part of a team that, as we said before, that's manufacturing something or put together a marketing program or um, 
in the hospitality world, you've just pulled off the greatest wedding reception of all time, but you're part of a team that has an end that you're trying to achieve. And I think a lot of us have played sports, whether it was T-ball when we were little, or maybe you were on the high school football team, but this idea of being part of something bigger than yourself and a job is how we as grownups do that. And so if you don't have a job, A, first of all, you got all this free time on your hands. B, you don't have the resources you need to either do what you want to do or what you need to do. And that's frustrating. Um, I think all of us have been out of work at some point in our life. And you're young, but you'll have your turn. Um, when, when, When that happens, you start to really devalue how you feel about yourself. So I think, again, a job, as simple as that, I think a job is a way to really solve a lot of our societal problems. And I think that when we can help companies get better, and again, what you guys do is help good companies find good people, we start to solve some of those problems. And if nothing else, as my dad would say, if everybody's working hard, you don't have time to get into trouble. But it's, it's, it is Idle about... Hands. Idle hands, hands. there you go. I, you went to the same church I did, huh? I so, guess so. Uh, again, this idea, I think, I think a job is just, uh, I think it fixes a lot of things that are wrong, both for individuals, families, and society. So I, I'm a pretty big believer in jobs. So if I'm hearing you right, your message to society is get a job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was young in college, that was often um, – a, a, a phrase that was tossed at people, but not in a kind way. If people You're were preaching the around. choir. So that's, that's not exactly how I would put it. I would <laughs> put it in, let me help you get a job. Exactly. There you go. That's savvy. That's savvy. All right. So from, from your work, what are some of the best ways to make sure employee satisfaction is up? I know you just talked about that. You touched base on that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, especially if a employee isn't happy with their work or, or whatever it may be, uh, especially placements in yep. the field uh, where you may not have constant contact mm-hmm. from day to day. How do you make sure that you maintain an employee's happiness on, on a job? Well, I, I think that all of us appreciate transparency. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is don't leave people in the dark wondering what's going on. So I think that ties very closely into communication. So once again, all of us need communication, both positive and if there's something critical, I need to work on something or whatever. But again, this idea of communication. And I think an organization needs to physically invest in their employees. And And the best way to do that is through training, education. Again, is there a tool that you need? Is there some skill that if you pick that up? And so if you were in sales, is it a Dale Carnegie class? Plug, plug, plug. If it's if you're a, a welder and you need better tools, or even if something as simple as better gloves. So through transparency and communication, you find out what is it that each employee needs. Now you've demonstrated to them you care about them. When you make that investment, and it could again, it could be a five dollar pair of gloves. You make that right. investment, you're showing that they're important. And then this idea, again, of workforce development. I remember early on in my career, I was with a group called the Heat Treating Network, and we had just developed a journeyman heat treaters apprenticeship program. And it was Department of Labor approved, sanctioned, the whole deal. We spent a zillion hours putting this program literally from a blank sheet of paper together. Mm -hmm. And so then I went out and was trying to convince small business owners that they should invest in their employees. 
And I can, uh, I don't know, it was one of my early visits. A guy said to me, well, I'm never going to invest in my employees through training. And I said, well, why? Well, if I do that, the heat treater across the street will poach the guy and he'll walk across the street for 50 cents more an hour. And I will have lost all that investment. And in those days, I used to be quicker on my feet. And, and I said, well, you know, I agree with you. By all means, keep your employees just as dumb as you can keep them. So no one would ever want to steal your employees. That's, mm-hmm. that's a great business plan. And he looked at me sort of funny. And I don't know that he ever got what I meant by that. But if, if you're not going to invest in your people, right, because you're afraid someone's going to steal them, you want employees that people want to steal because they're so good and you need right. to take care of them so they stay. Right. Um, so these, those, are the, you know, those are some of the, just the lessons I've learned uh, in my, as I think somebody said, decades uh, in, in yeah. manufacturing. Oh, I'm going to hear about this for a while. <laughs> oh, you're going to, this will probably be in my email that I send you after this. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> um, so what are some of the risks associated with the employee that's not satisfied? Is there, is there the safety risks or Absolutely. obviously Absolutely. there's yeah. productivity risks, but yeah, do you want to mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so if you've got an employee that, that feels the, the organization is not invested in them or cares about them, so now they've lost interest in any motivation that they have in trying to do a good job, what is the impact of that? Well, they're not going to do a good job. They're going to do just enough to not get fired or get in trouble. Uh, they're going to become careless. Again, they're going to see things that should be addressed and say, oh, not my job. So there's very much a safety uh, component in that. Uh, and again, this idea that if you, if your employees are all dissatisfied, the other thing that they're going to do is when they leave, you now have to go to, or you fire them because they're doing a bad job. Now you have to go through that entire exercise of finding another employee. Right. Uh, and good people these days are hard to find. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, dissatisfied employees are going to do less than optimal work. You might even argue they do bad work, but we'll give them the credit to do at least enough. Enough. But, but they're not going to be looking for opportunities to make things better. So you're going to lose their entrepreneurship and their innovation. They're not going to be, and so, okay, so they're not going to jump off a piece of equipment and break their leg. But if they see a handrail down or cords across the floor, they're less likely to point it out because, again, well, the company doesn't care about me. I don't care about the company. So it's very much a safety issue as well. Right. So the question, I heard somebody talking about this the other day. I forgot who. It might have been Taylor. I, I don't know. But um, I heard that most entrepreneurs or business owners or business leaders can tell right away when a, comp- or when a person's looking for another job. Um, have you noticed that? Have, have you seen that employee's attitude kind of turn as soon as they uh, become disinterested in their current job and, and start looking for the next? Sometimes it's very apparent. Sometimes people are a little smarter than that, and they keep that smiley face on as they're looking. Um, but, but often you do see a decrease in um, just their excitement level. You, you right. can tell. If, but again, that's very dependent on how well you know your people. Right. I mean, if you're a, a fairly distant, hands-off manager or supervisor who really don't, you don't know your, uh, your staff, then you would miss all of those clues and cues Probably. But if you are in tune with what's going on with an employee, 
because it, often you can tell something's up and you can go and say, is everything all right? Or maybe there's a death in the family or they're having money issues, whatever, you know, they're whatever. having children yeah. problems, but, but you should be tied in enough that you can notice a drop off. And often that drop off is, is they're looking to, uh, to move on because of dissatisfaction. Right. Is there any way for a company to repair that relationship if an if a employee becomes dissatisfied? Is there any way to re-jive uh, mm-hmm. a, a dissatisfied employee's attitude? Well, it starts again with communication. I mean, if, you, right. uh, if you're witnessing a drop-off or you've noticed that something's different, you need to find out what that difference is. And again, often just communication shows that you care. Uh, a, right. a fair amount of time, employees become dissatisfied when they begin to think, oh, this, this company doesn't care about me. Mm-hmm. So you, you begin to repair that by communications, uh, finding out what is going on in their life. So I think that's the first place always to start. Right. So I think we could talk like forever on this. <laughs> uh, seriously, this is, this is a pretty good conversation. But we do have to conclude at some point. You know, we've been on for what, about 30 minutes now. Um, okay. So let me ask you, is there anything that you think companies could learn about any of the topics that we just talked about? I mean, it, it, what would you say to companies either dealing with a dissatisfied employee or, mm-hmm. or what would you say um, to companies hesitant to join a trades organization? Um, or, or do you want to opine on something else completely random? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we could talk about the baseball season and this idea that they're trying to pull together a season with uh, the COVID-19, but I don't have a beer in my hand, so we can't do that. Hey, the Chicago um, Cubs are finally doing good again. That, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> uh, as, an, as, as an Indians fan, I don't want to talk about how good the Cubs are doing. Okay. I mean, I, if, if we had to lose that world series, I guess losing to the Cubs would have been the way to go. But in a, given a choice, I would have still rather beat the Cubs, especially in that game seven. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, okay. We, yeah, we won't get into baseball. At least you're not a Cardinals fan. Right? That's all I have to uh, say. No, I am not a Cardinals fan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. And at least, and at least you're not a Yankees fan. So. No. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. At, at any yeah. rate, so I, I guess a suggestion or two that I would have for small and mid-sized companies is that if you're not a member of whatever your trade association is, join. And if you are a member, get more involved and help your industry as a whole get better. As the whole industry rises up, it's going to be, you know, it's one of those uh, rising water raises all boats kind of thing right. that um, you really need to be involved in that. Uh, a second thing I would say is that you know that you have an issue fulfilling your workforce get involved locally is there a local community college that you can go and even teach a class and get involved with who's graduating from the community college who's graduating from the local vocational school Uh, invite your local high school in to see what it is that you do again looking for that spark in five or ten percent of the kids that wander through who say yeah that's what i want to do and then figure out how you can get them involved maybe even offer scholarships locally to people right. who would want to get involved in your business. Uh, but to do that, somehow you have to wedge that into this busy schedule that you have. Yeah. So the other thing I think that small business owners need to do sometime is this idea of letting go a little bit and actually delegating one or two of the 10 or 15 hats that they wear so that they have a little extra time to invest in, in a trade association or in the local school. Um, 
Lord knows small business owners have more than enough to do. So right. you really, one of the things they need to do then is develop their team a little bit so they can download a couple jobs. So they have time to start looking a little into the future as opposed to just getting to Friday when it's payday. Again, I've done that. I know what that is. Uh, but to look six months out, five years out, what's my company going to look like five years from now? Holy crap, I need six more welders. Where am I going to get them? Right. Oh, I know. How about I, I help the, lo the local trade school grow a few? Um, yeah. And so when that would doubt, be my advice. Yeah. When in doubt, give it to the marketing team. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and by all means, invest in marketing. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, for, thank you for saying that so I didn't have to. Not a problem. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you for joining us today with our podcast series, The Rust Belt Rundown. This is a relatively new initiative for Rust Belt Recruiting, and we'd love to hear your feedback. We will have a new podcast every two weeks, so stay tuned for our next production featuring industry updates, commentary, and business advice. Make sure, make sure you like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching Rush Belt Recruiting. Um, let's see what else is in this final plug here. Hold on, my script just froze. <laughs> um, visit RustBeltRecruiting.com to learn more about our cause and find the Rust Belt Rundown in writing, as well as other articles that we are publishing. Roy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, do you want to take a moment to plug your business? Maybe give our followers a link to check out Technical Alchemy? Well, I, I think I mentioned before this idea of low overhead. So if you want to find me, you need to go to LinkedIn. Um, and, it's, and if you're listening to this as a podcast, uh, maybe the link is right there. But I'm on LinkedIn, Roy W. Hardy. Um, and I'd be happy to help any of you with any issues that you might have when it comes to some of the things we've talked about today. Nick, this has been a blast. If in a couple, if in three or four months you've got an empty slot, you can't find anybody to do it, call me up and we'll talk about baseball and football for 30 minutes. <laughs> All right, good deal. Yes, I will definitely take you up on that. Uh, Roy, it was a pleasure having you on today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Nick. Take care.